Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are still in chapter 1 looking at this incredible letter that Paul wrote from prison in Rome to the saints at Philippi, uh, partners in the gospel. And we've seen that the theme of this is joy in the partnership of the gospel. We're going to begin in verse 18 in just a minute. I was doing some research, and back in 2003, I remember watching this documentary. A man named Aaron Ralston was alone in Utah. He was doing some uh, hiking by himself, not a good thing. And he fell and got trapped between some boulders, and days went by after the six days of him realizing that he's going to have to do something to get himself untrapped from this boulder. He took out a little utility knife, and he amputated his arm below the elbow. Then he reclined, rappelled down uh, a 60-foot cliff, then walked eight miles to find some people, and they found him a rescue helicopter and got him to the hospital, and he survived. And it's one of those stories that says to me, people will do almost anything to live, to keep from dying. So here's the question with that. What would you do to live? Really, the better question is, what would you live for? Well, Paul gives us the answer right here. And he says to us that we need to live a life that's worth living so that we can die a death that's worth dying. Verse 18, we're gonna pick up right in the middle of verse 18 because he uh, continues the thought. He talked about rejoicing that the gospel was being preached by even those with wrong motives. And then he says this in the middle of verse 18, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or by death. And here's that verse we've looked at before that stands out. For me, verse 21, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't choose which one I should choose. I don't know which one I should choose, but I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, and I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Let's just stop right there. Paul is giving us his personal testimony as he talks to the church at Philippi and says this is his desire, it's to be with Jesus, but he knows that God's, God has a responsibility, a calling for him to minister to them there. So let's first of all, if we wanna have this, this, this uh, approach that Paul had to know that I have a life worth living and a death worth dying, if we wanna be like him, our ambition has to be to honor Christ. My ambition as a Christ follower, number one, if you're taking notes, means that I must desire to honor Christ. Christ. That's how I'm going to have a life worth living. If the ambition, if the call, if the passion of my life is to honor him, that's what's going to be important. First of all, I'm going to look at it in three ways as we break down the passage. He said he was rejoicing in Christ consistently. 
We need to be rejoicing in Christ consistently. Remember we said that the theme of the book of Philippians is joy, rejoicing. It, it echoes through the whole book. And Paul, from prison, writing this letter as he's under house arrest in Rome, is saying, I have joy in the gospel of Christ. And he repeatedly says rejoice. Look at verse 18. Again, I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He repeats that over and over and over. His lifestyle as a prisoner because of the gospel was a lifestyle of joy. Can you say that? Let me tell you, we went through the book, uh, the study, uh, a month or two ago. We talked about gratitude, how important it is to look at everything. Was it, it maybe a couple of months ago? I'm not sure. How, how it important it is to look at everything in our life and respond with an attitude of gratitude. And Paul is underscoring that in this book, that as I look at the circumstances of my life, number one, I need to be a person of joy. There was a hymn that was written back in the 17th century became very popular. Let me just read you the words to the hymn, and then I want to give you the background. This is what the hymn writer wrote. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous signs hath done in whom his world, this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. That's a great hymn of rejoicing, isn't it? It was written by a, a pastor named Martin Rinkhart, and he was one of the only pastors who remained during the 30 years' war in this city that was walled off. It was filled with injured troops, people who were broken, people who were hurting, people who were wounded. Disease crept into that city, the city of uh, Eilenburg. Refugees came there, and most everybody left except this pastor and some others who cared for the people. In one year alone, he conducted 4,500 funerals. One of the services he conducted, there were 50 dead bodies that he, that, he, that he presided over. He even buried his own wife. Now, in the midst of that, he wrote those words, We thank all our God with hearts and hands and voice. There's rejoicing there. That's where, that's where Paul was. Paul would do the same thing. He would say, this is, this is where I live right now. I'm in prison because of the gospel, and I, with all my heart, want to rejoice. Someone said, you don't really know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Isn't that right? That's where Paul was. That's where this hymn writer was, Martin Rinkhart in the 17th century. I need Jesus more than anything. That's where the continuous, constant, consistent joy comes from. Secondly, to have that ambition that honors Christ, we need to be relying on Christ completely. Relying on Christ completely. Look at verse 19. Because of this, because I know this, that this rejoicing will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, my joy, my rejoicing, my deliverance is going to come through the person of Christ and Christ alone. He is relying on Christ completely. Here he's saying, I want you to pray for me because I know it's going to lead to my deliverance. And scholars debate, is Paul talking about deliverance from prison? Some say he was really expecting to see the church at Philippi. And as you walk through there, you can see he's eagerly anticipating that. So others have said, no, Paul's talking about deliverance from, from this life to be with God. You know what I think he's saying? Maybe both. He's saying that the prayers of the people of God asking the spirit of Jesus Christ to be with me, to be my source, it's ultimately gonna to lead to my deliverance, hopefully from prison to be with you, the church at Philippi, but ultimately to be with Jesus. Relying on Christ completely. It's interesting, Paul is quoting from Job there. Remember Job? Who, who without, without any um, 
malice against him without any without he was a, a, a man without blame God brought allowed this suffering to come upon Job and he was innocent yet he proclaimed those words this is what what Paul um, Paul quotes there he's reflecting on Job puts himself in that same place as Job was Jonathan Edwards a preacher from the uh, early American um, revolution days said this he said God is glorified not only by his glories being seen but by, but by it being rejoiced in. He said, it's not enough to say, I guess that he is God, so I guess I'll just knuckle under and get through this. You have to see his beauty. Glorifying God does not mean obeying him only because you have to. It means obeying him because you want to, because you're attracted to him, because you delight in him. Relying on Christ completely. Is he your delight? As I go through the, 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 the days of my life, and as circumstances come my way, and whether it's a Hurricane Harvey or, or sickness or news that another uh, brother or sister in Christ has passed away that I've loved or news that someone else has had cancer, I have to come back to my reliance is on Christ and Christ completely. Jesus is all we need. And when you go through those times like Paul was going through and like these I've quoted, it underscores the fact that I must rely on him completely. Another prayer to read to you. I read a hymn. I'm going to read a prayer from St. Patrick. This is 5th century. This is just a part of his prayer. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit. Christ when I stand. Christ at the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. That's good, isn't it? That's completely, totally relying on Christ. Thirdly, Paul did this. He was representing Christ courageously. Rejoicing in him, relying on him, but representing him courageously. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all boldness, that being courageous, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He goes on to say, for me to live is Christ, dying is gain. Paul is saying boldly, I want to, without shame, proclaim the gospel. Eager expectation to not be ashamed, to come with boldness presenting Christ. Paul writes, and we looked at this earlier, that he, he sends word from even Caesar's household. Remember, he, he said that the whole, the whole palace guard, the Praetorian, well, whatever that word is, starts with a P, Praetorian guard, was listening and had heard the gospel. And some had come to know Christ because of his courage and the faith to boldly proclaim. And he says to the church at Philippi, I want you too to be bold in your proclamation of the gospel. Literally, what he's saying there is, the, the little, literal translation of verse 21 is living Christ, dying gain. The subject and verb are supplied for us in the English. Living Christ, dying gain. That's his whole life, representing Christ courageously. In 2005, a pastor in Vietnam, they gave us his name as Silas. I'm not sure that was his actual name, but um, in a communist country where it's not... Um, legal to proclaim the gospel, government officials had come to harass him. And one came and said, you're going to need to stop meeting. And the government official said this to Silas, the pastor, you need to watch out. We're watching you. 
And this was his response. He said, we don't need to watch out. God's got this. We trust in him, and we, we trust in him alone. He will take care of us. And then he went on to thank this government official for the harassment. He said, I want to thank you for harassing us as a church when we meet, because your harassment has caused us, your persecution has caused us to become stronger and even bolder in our proclamation of the gospel. And he said this to him, he said, you can shut down our churches, you can jail us, you can torture us, but it doesn't matter, we're still going to love you. He said that to the government official. He said, we're going to love you because Jesus loves you. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Government official went on, came back, and there was some more interaction. He came to Pastor Silas late one night, kind of like Nicodemus, not wanting to be seen. And he was obviously depressed. The pastor had already seen it when he talked to him before. And before the night was over, he led him to Jesus. Because of the persecution of that government official, that pastor was going to say, we're going to love you no matter what. And he saw him come to Christ. And then he worked his way up in the ranks in the government, and he became the one who would tip off the churches when a raid was coming. Isn't that that the way God always works? That's Paul is saying, my ambition is to honor Christ in everything, and I want to, to, with boldness, say that my life is all about him and him alone. The second part of this passage is a vision that Paul has his passion, his, his, his uh, dream, and that needs to be our vision, to be with Christ. Our vision, to be with Christ. First of all, he faced the pressure of choosing. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. Now, if I live on in the flesh, or if I just keep living my life, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which one I should choose. How would you like to hear that from Paul? Listen, I love you, but I don't know if I want to be with you because I'd rather be with Jesus. That's a good statement, isn't it? I don't know which one to choose. And he goes on to say this, I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart with be with Christ, to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul is facing the pressure of choosing. Do you face that pressure? I know we've all said it when you've had a bad day, Right? I'm ready to be with Jesus. Jesus, come quickly, right? We've all said that. Things aren't going well, family stuff, financial stuff, pressures, business, whatever. You just say, I am ready to be with Jesus. Come on. But Paul is saying it in the context of ministering to one another. I I, I want to be with Jesus, but God's called me to you, the people of God. Every pastor ought to be able to pray that. Every one of us should be able to have this, this pressure. God, I, I, I want to be with you so badly, Lord, but I want to be here ministering to people also. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this, verse 21 and, 20, and 23. Life versus even more life. I can't choose. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which one I would. Life versus more life. Isn't that good? To be with the people of God, Celebrating joyous, rejoicing ministry to one another is good. That's life versus life with Christ, more life, to be in his presence. It's a win-win, isn't it? A win-win. They just broke ground for the new church at Sutherland Springs. They're rebuilding after that tragedy that was there. I want you to know, I've spoken with that pastor and some of his staff and and they, they are passionate about the fact that those people who were martyred are with Jesus now. And they, they have 
and said in maybe words, but not these words, it was a win-win for those folks because they're with Jesus now. Barbara Johnson, Johnson tells a story. She was one of the women of faith speakers about a win-win situation. Back in the 1990s when women of faith was very big and uh, those big stadium rallies that they had, uh, some folks came in her and said, there's a, a lady upstairs who needs to see you. Uh, she was a prostitute who was running from her pimp. They said, she's upstairs in a room. We've got her out of the way. She's threatening to kill herself. And so Barbara went to see her, and she had been beaten up badly, even had been shot and cut, and uh, it's a terrible situation. And, and they began to share with her that Jesus loved her. And she didn't have to be afraid of her pimp anymore. And through the process of these ladies ministering to her, they led that prostitute to Christ. By the way, he was after her because she, was, she wanted to leave that lifestyle. She wanted to quit turning tricks for him and, and, and walk, have a normal life. They led her to Christ. They said, now we need to get you to the hospital. She said, no, you just need to get me out of town because I'm afraid he's going to find me. So they scraped up some money and they bought her a bus ticket to Chicago. And this is how they wrapped up that scenario that for her, this was her attitude. It's a win-win. If my pimp finds me and kills me, I get to be with Jesus now. If I get to go to Chicago, I get to be with my family. It's a win. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's where Paul was living, this pressure of choosing. But secondly, he was feeling the passion to be with Christ. This is that death worth dying. Verse 23 again. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. A death worth dying. Kelly's grandmother, we called her Mimi. Her name was B. I had another nickname for her, but I won't repeat it. Because that's what she called me, so I just called her that nickname right back. Mimi was 106 years old, and from the time about 104, she was just ready to go, well, 100 anyway. She was ready to go be with Jesus. Every single Thanksgiving we had, we tell the family, this could be the last one. From 98 to 100 to 104, whatever, it, was, it could be the last one. She just kept living. She was ready, and she said, I don't know why God has me here. I just want to go be with Jesus. I was talking with Mimi one day, and she was, it was in, her, in the nursing home where she was, the assisted living place. And she was asking about my son, Cameron. She said, well, how's Cameron? I said, well, he's doing great. He just went to New York City. She said, oh, New York. She's from Oklahoma, small town in Oklahoma. Oh, New York. I said, yeah. I said, I, she said, I've been to New York. Really, Mimi? She said, yeah, it was 100 years ago. So I thought, <laughs> I said, you, that, that's, that usually is an exaggeration, but you probably could have said that. But as she got to those last days of her life, this wasn't too long ago, uh, she was alone at night, and one of the attendants walked by, and they heard her talking to someone. And she hadn't been talking to anybody. She was all by herself talking out loud. He went back by. There was a guy, right, the uh, attendant? Went back by later, and she'd gone to be with Jesus in her sleep. And we're, we're convinced that she was talking to Jesus. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Finally. I'm, she may have said, Jesus, finally, it's about time. No one hurt. She probably did. <laughs> Thanks for answering my prayer. I've been praying for so long. I finally get to be with you. That's the passion to be with Christ, to, to have a, a life worth living but a death worth dying. And then lastly, Paul talks about a peace here. He finds peace in caring for others. So in these last two verses, you have a, a death worth dying and a life worth living. These last several verses. Look at verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Here's what Paul says. To stay here is better for you, church. 
Since I'm persuaded of this and I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of me your confidence may grow. Paul says, I want to stay here and be with you. I don't know how he worked all this out. I know there's this passion to be with Jesus no matter what. But he came to that place where he said, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to stay here and minister to these people because this is you've called me to. And he found a peace in that, that they could grow and he could be a part of that. I read recently about a wake-up call. It was 3.30 in the morning. A man named Andy Armstrong in Alexandria, Minnesota, I think, was awakened. There was a man standing in his room, in his bedroom. He'd forgotten to lock the front door. Don't forget to lock your front door, all right? And this man, he, he awakened and was startled by this man. This man says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was in my house. I guess I'm in the wrong house. The man was all, obviously, had been in an accident. He was bleeding, clothes disheveled, torn. The man says, I'm sorry, I've had a car wreck. And he, he, he ran off, and they, they chased him and found out what had happened. And the man, had, they said there was no alcohol or drugs involved, but somehow he had gone through a, red, a stop sign at the end of a dead-end road and through some fences and through a house and off a 40-foot embankment, embankment and onto an icy lake and off through the icy lake and up into this and, and crashed by this guy's house and got out. said, I don't know where I am. I, I, I thought I was in my house. I need help. They got him help. And as I was reading, reading that story, I was thinking about how um, every Sunday morning, people show up in our house. This is his house, we you know what I'm talking about. And they are wrecked, and they're beaten, and they're bruised, and they're battered, and they're hurting. And it's our responsibility, like Paul said, to care for them. I've had opportunity twice already this morning to pray for people who's got, who have stuff going on in their life They just... That may be all they can think about today. They're broken, they're hurting. And our responsibility, like Paul said, is to stay here and love on one another. See, that's the life worth living. And if we will do it with a passion for the gospel that other people would come to know him, we will die a death that's worth dying. And like Mimi, we'll just be able to say, maybe she said, it's about time. I'm ready to be with you. Let's pray together.